0: is getting ready to lift off this planet. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as he's getting ready to lift off the planet, literally, and and in front of several people's eyes, uh, going into heaven, uh, he told them, you are going to receive power after the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost or furthestmost parts of the earth. And so, why did Jesus say that? Because I don't know about you, but I like my home buddies, you know, my, my home team, I, I like my posse, I like my cadre, I like my friends, I like, there's certain people that you like, and, and because you like them, and maybe because they like you, uh, you tend to hang around them. Anybody like that? No. Right? Aren't we like that way? We'll go to lunch with those people. We'll, you know, if we're going to go on vacation, take some people with us. Those are the people we call. Uh, you know, we surround ourselves with these people. And, and Jesus knew that's human nature. And so Jesus says in his last words to the disciples, don't just do that. Don't just do that. Don't, don't, don't just hang around the people you're comfortable with. This message and this empowerment is for you to go to people who aren't like you, who don't look like you, they don't talk like you. And of course, they had no clue uh, when he was saying this, just how big the world was at that time. Because it would be hundreds of years later before they would even discover North America and figure that one out. But the world was so big, and Jesus was saying, I want you to go to all of it because it's all important to me. I said, It's all important to me, Jesus said, right? It's all important. So don't just hang around the people you want to hang around. Don't just be with the people who are comfortable to you. You need to be able to go. And I'm empowering you to go to all the whole entire world. Now we're going to look at a scripture that we looked at last week. We're going to look at it again this week because it really pertains to this topic. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 10 because it's the story of ...that is of Jesus, and he's probably on the streets, he's, he's walking with, with his team of people. And uh, there's a guy, an expert in the law, the Bible describes him as. And, and the setting is that these people, much like this guy, have been trying to trip Jesus up. So this is not an innocent question... This is a question from somebody who's really the enemy of Jesus. He's really not trying to, oh, let's figure out truth. You know, let's just explore truth and let's let's figure things out. No, this guy's trying to set Jesus up for failure. He is trying to mess him up in front of everybody. So the motive behind this question is impure. But how many know that God can take what the enemy means for harm and turn it out for good? How many know that, you know, you can even have a bad dating relationship. You can even get with somebody that you shouldn't have gotten with. And you can even marry that person. You can even go through divorce. You can even go through heartache. You can go through some terrible things in life. But it didn't take God by surprise. And he can turn it for good, right? He, he can turn it around. How many have had that happen in your life where the enemy meant something For bad, but God turned it for good. And so that's what's happening. This guy is out to get Jesus. And so he says, hey, how can I get to heaven? Sounds like a good question, doesn't it? And Jesus says, well, you know what the law says, right? He says, oh, I know all about the law. And he says, well, what does it say? And He says, well, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now this Jewish guy would have said that twice a day. The Shema would be a statement, a series of statements from the Old Testament that Jewish people would quote, they would speak out, they would say this each day to acknowledge God in the morning and acknowledge Him in the evening. And so this man is answering according to what he knows. And Jesus says, well, that's good. You need to do that. But the guy won't leave it alone, right? Because he's trying to trap Jesus. So he says, well, I've got another question then. Pull pull that verse up for us. He he wants to justify himself. So he asks Jesus, and who? Is my neighbor? Now, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, then who is my neighbor? But just like Jesus, I love this about Jesus. He he's so awesome. The way he knows us and knows our thoughts and knows everything. The Bible even says he knows what's in the heart of man. You know, and, and so he knows where this guy's coming from. And so, just like Jesus, to not just answer the question, instead. Jesus says, let me tell you a story. He says, there was a guy who was on the Jericho Road, and he's traveling along, and he fell among thieves, and they beat him, robbed him, and they left him for dead at the side of the road. And Jesus says, but then a priest came, you know, a guy that loves the law, and and, and claims to love God. And he was walking along the road, but he saw the guy and he crossed over to the other side of the street. You ever been in a store and you see somebody that you don't want to have to talk to because you know this is going to turn this trip to Walmart into an all-day thing or whatever and, and so you act like you didn't see him, you know? All of a sudden, you get real interested in something, you know. You've never done that. Huh? Oh, look at me like that. I know who you are. So anyway, th- this guy thinks, well, maybe nobody saw that. And if I get over on the other side, maybe I can use the excuse, oh, there was a guy over there bleeding. There's a guy over there screaming, moaning, groaning, you know. I didn't notice that. And then Jesus says, then a Levite, you know, a guy who has the calling of God in his bloodline from clear back. And this guy who has a whole bloodline lineage of being called of God is walking along. There's the guy, sees him, and he crosses over to the other side of the street. But then Jesus goes on, and here's where he blows their mind. Let's let's pull that verse up. But a Samaritan. Okay, this is getting complicated now. All right, this this is going to get nasty right here. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. We're going to come back to that. And he went to him. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but but when I'm reading this, I'm just wondering if this guy started on the other side of the street that the Levite and the priest wound up on. Because it couldn't have been that wide of a street. This is not 465, all right? You know, this is ancient times. And so he might have been on this side of the street and easily saw the man because he was, like we said last week, he was looking for him. So you'll find what you're looking for, won't you? Well, there's a sermon right there. If you're looking for bad, you'll find bad, right? If you're looking for good, you'll find good. But we'll come back to that in another week. Anyway, he, he says, you know, he, he sees him and he has compassion. And maybe... Instead of like the priest and the Levite, he moves from this side of the street to that side of the street. Because he went to him. He didn't just reach out there at the side of the road. He went to him. And bandaged his wounds. This is what the other guys knew was going to happen. Pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him this is mouth-dropping material here because the samaritans were hated by jews and and just to give you a sense of where this is coming from this is like 700 year old history of hatred because about 700 years prior to jesus speaking these words The Samaritans lived in the northern area of Israel. And if you know Israeli history, you know that the ancient kingdom was split in two. After Solomon, there was a northern kingdom, there was a southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, they were conquered about 700 years before Jesus said this. And when that happened, here's what happened. That The enemy just kind of took them captive, just kind of held them and, and just said, you know, we're going we're to control this. And as long as you people don't get out of hand, we'll all go well. And what happened is, is they began to intermarry with the enemy. Now, if you know the Bible, too, you know that way back, everybody say way back. <laughs> way back. God said, don't do that. Don't intermarry with these other people, not because they're different, but because of their worship. Because here's what will happen. If you intermarry with them, the next thing you know, your wife will come home and say, oh, babe, I got a new idol today. And I'm just going to put it here on the mantle. And I thought we could kind of worship it every once in a while. Is that all right? And you know how you are when your wife comes home from the mall, and you know, and she bought something and brought it home, and uh, and you got to decide, okay, is this worth it or not? Is this battle worth it? You know, I, I don't know, and, and and so you decide, oh well, it's not that much, and you know, okay, it's just on the mantle, you know, and it's not like I have to worship it. I mean, if she wants to worship it, hey, if Mama's happy everybody's happy and God knew that and he warned as a matter of fact Solomon fell for this in all of his wisdom you read the life of Solomon Solomon decides well you know what this marrying thing hey it works for you because when you marry somebody's sister then they're not going to fight you you know if you marry somebody's daughter or whatever they're not going to invade you because you got your daughter in their in your house And so he started doing all this. And the Bible says it jacked him up. It got him involved in all kinds of worship going on. And actually brought down the kingdom of God there in Israel. And so God knew this in advance. It wasn't about race. It was about God and and relationship with him. And he wanted that to stay pure. Well, the northern People, they get off, they do all this. And they even say, you know what? You don't even have to go down to Jerusalem anymore. We've got a new place of worship up here. And it's going to save you all kinds of mileage going down to Jerusalem to worship. You no longer have to do that. We've got our own holy place here in the northern area. And the Samaritans start worshiping somewhere different. They start worshiping different things. All this starts going on. All this intermarriage is going on. And the southern kingdom said, you people ain't right. That's not right. And we are the pure tribe. Because we're not intermarrying with everybody around us. We're not bringing false gods in our houses and whatever. And we still have the true place of worship in Jerusalem, we're the special people, we're the special people, and they hated and despised the Samaritans, so that's what Jesus is speaking into when he says, this guy is the hero of the story, and Dr. Martin Luther King speaks to this and he says, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? That is the question. And that is the heart of the gospel. It is loving people regardless of who they are, regardless of how they speak, regardless of how different they are from us. And a matter of fact, especially it's for those who are different from us because it shows the love of God all the more in our lives. Dennis Leary said this, racism isn't born, folks, it's taught. I love this. He says, I have a two-year-old son. You know what he hates? Naps. It's all he knows to hate, right? No, There's no racist gene in our body that we're born with. It's learned. It's through experience. It's how we were raised. It's ignorance. It's lack of perspective of our lives. In other words, racism is not a skin issue, folks. It's a sin issue in our lives a sin issue look at this in James chapter 2 verse 9 he says and this is the brother of Jesus if you favor some people over others you are committing what a sin it's not a mistake it's not uh, oversight. It's not, oh, you know, I didn't see that. You know, got over here on the other side of the road. And I'm, No, no, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law that you say that you love. How do we neighbor those who are different from us? I want to give you three things today that you can write down and take home with you and put into practice. You need to recognize any prejudices. Recognize any prejudices. You know, a lot of us would say, well, I'm not racist. Listen to this. Prejudice is prejudging, preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Not based on reason or actual experience. In other words, it's kind of like these things. You know, all rich people are snobs. Every heavy person is lazy. All younger people don't want to work. Old people can't be taught. And white guys can't jump. (laughs) That one might be true, all right? You know, it's sad because uh, people say, well, I'm not racist. I I know a black person. Or I know, uh, you know, I know a white person, or I know several of them, or, you know, I've got a friend that has a friend that is, is Hispanic, or, or whatever, uh, you know, and it's tragic because it, it can be in us and we don't even know it. I remember getting on an airplane for the first time after 9-11, and this guy gets on who looks like he's from the Middle East, and I was like, what is that guy doing on my plane? He shouldn't be on my plane. You know, I, had to, I had felt that. It's like a real feeling in me. And it came from a preconceived idea. I didn't have any experience with it. It, it was just a preconceived idea. And, and so here's what else we need to do. is not only recognize any prejudice, but seek to understand others. We need to seek to understand others and to help us to understand others. Here's what I want to do for the next several minutes in this about 10, 11-minute video. I want to show a video from our sister church in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, National Community Church. They did an interview uh, with a fellow who is a leader in the national community uh, Movement uh, of racism and and leading uh, really uh, in this area. He's 87 years old at the time of the recording of this video, Dr. John Perkins, and and it's just incredible the insight that he gives, and it so touched my heart. When I saw this, I wanted you to see it, so here it is. You write in
1: 1946. You were 16 years old, and uh, your brother uh, was uh, shot and killed. And that was a,
2: a turning point for no, you. Can you, can, can you talk about that? Yeah, yo, yeah, him going in the service, uh, probably at nineteen, whatever, spending his three or so years, coming back, and like to me, that was a hero, of mine. And of course, I, uh, then him, you know, fighting Hitler, coming back home, uh, enjoying himself, but with a sort of a new. Look at the world, and, it, it, and so he and his girlfriend was at the theater in line, and 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 Marcia would keep the black in a line because they had to get in a line and go through a alley to go into the back to go into the theater, and of course, one of the things he would do, the kids would be talking loud, and and of course, young black men all coming back from the military. Is got a little bit more freedom, and 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 so the, he would take a blackjack and hit these kids on the head and make them get in line. And so he hit my my. They were probably talking loud. He him and his girlfriend and thing. They had had to whisper. White folks don't kids don't whisper when they are going somewhere. They have a, a the other national. You know what I mean? But we had to whisper because we would disturb the white folks. And so they, that was a custom. And they hit him on the head. He just spun around and caught the club. And he then just backed up and shot him two times in the stomach. That was a real blow to me. And the blow was really something because after my brother died, and I'm 16, now our family was not one of these church-going families. We would have been like the drug-pushing family we would have been a little bit like the gang family. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, my, my, many of my uncles had got in trouble, so we was, wasn't a, the it was church go to meeting quite black people. And so what they would have thought, when I would go on the streets and be black boys and men would be standing on the street, and when I would join that group, these other folk would, black folk, would walk away because they was afraid that the white folks would see me talking to them and I'm planning a gang deal and so you could see that and my family could see that.
1: So then
2: they, and they so they encouraged me to go to California because we had a cousin, a first cousin who had grew up with us. So that's so how you got to California. I got to, go to California to get out of there. And, uh, and what happened to me, people said, did you go with a lot of hate? Yeah, but I went with a lot of hate in my soul. But my hate was solid on these white folks who was from Mississippi. I got to California, I got new opportunities, freedom, a new freedom. Not, not total freedom, but I got enough freedom to work, a good job, and that's what most people want. So I want to
1: ask you, you come back to Mississippi. It's a completely different world from... California. You know that, but God has called you back to Mississippi. So you write in your book that February 7th, 1970, you're laying on the floor of the Simpson County jail. And this is your quote. I decided at that moment to preach a gospel stronger than my racial identity and bigger than the segregation around me. What, what does that mean?
2: When I was, we had started a protest March, based on the first time I was put in jail in Mendenhall. hall, and you got to recognize the fact that we was, they were bombing churches and burning churches in Mississippi, and I was organizing a little church that became the headquarters for the civil rights movement. and so uh, uh, on the floor i I saw the, the meanness of racism. I saw, I looked at those white folks. They looked like they were surrounded like animals and maggots was all around their head. I saw evil and it was frightening. But if I'd had an an atomic grenade I would have opened it. But my faith probably spoke to me And it said, uh, if I do that, I'm worse than them. And I saw in that crisis moment that we was equally broken. That they was evil and my solution would have been evil. And that's when I said, Lord, I want to preach a gospel that can save these white folk, but also save me. I, I want to preach a gospel that, were I a love of God, that was greater than my race, greater than my economic interest. I have a strong economic interest. I want to preach a gospel that can reconcile us to God. And, uh, and I always said, feel like I caught God listening. And I got out of jail. Then I had to go through this terrible time of recovery. That's a that's a reconciliation you just hit that. That's the reconciliation. And that's a buzzword in our culture today. I mean, I'm hearing that word all the time. Talk of, talk about that word and, and where that's in the scriptures. Yeah. Reconciliation is the very essence of the action that comes from the proclamation. That we say that we said the spirit empowers the word of God. The spirit and our obedience to that word of God create faith. And it's faith, but it's also grace that that saves us. That, that when we... And it's got to be for the other. Uh, it's got to be the great commandment. Loving God with all your heart and all your soul... And all your mind, and then loving your neighbor as you love yourself—that's the Good Samaritan story. That's the one who had been, The Samaritan story is what we would call in life an oxymoron, because there wasn't no such thing as a Good Samaritan. They were the most despised of all of the uh, of all of all of the Gentiles. Because they was a mixed race, you know, there. Uh, and they hated them. They hated them. They was from another temple that was built in rebellion against God. They're not supposed to get together. But then the Samaritan reached out to the Jew and washed his wound. And washed the Jewish person's wound. The, the, Philippian Roman soldier, watch Paul's a Jew's wound, and that's uh, that. We got to see the equally broken of each one of us, and then we got to somehow another uh, feel that pain, and feeling the pain, as Martin Luther King says, uh, suffering for others undeserved suffering for others become vicarious. Now, the gospel, I mean, the purpose then of the gospel, the very purpose is to reconcile us to a God who loved us so much he died for us. Once our eyes are open for that, the idea is that we are dying for each other. Greater love than no one in this. I think at this moment, we're at the first time in my 67 years that the reconciliation is going to have to be, the solution is going to be multicultural because the issue is going to be multicultural. I think in reality we're at a pivot place and the church could shine. The church, I think this is our opportunity in my generation I would like to give the rest of my life to encouraging us to become that oneness, become those people who are called out of the world into a relationship with Christ and with each other, which they call the church. He have given that responsibility to us. He couldn't say it in the plainer. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself and has given unto the church the ministry of reconciliation. Well, last time we met you, well, actually it was a few months back,
1: one of the opening, I think the very first thing you said was, I want to die empty. Right. I remember writing that, that down. That's a good
0: me. one. <laughs>
2: I, I want, and I want to pass it on to really to this intentional Malta, culture. I think you you do you're gonna make a lot of mistakes and do a lot of things wrong. But you gotta find the great sense of obedience. When of you obeying? And that's where God's power is at. God's power is released in obeying his command. And the command was to go into all the world and share this good news of the gospel to all the ethnic groups of the world, to all people. The angel said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Ain't no room in that for the kind of a language that divides us. That's what God is in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And boy, we ought to be rejoiced that he forgive us of our sin, And reconcile us to himself, and then welcomes us, the purpose of reconciling us, so that we can join with him in his work. He says, Come and help me.
0: Come and help me, right? So as we understand others, it will help us to bridge the divide. And the last thing to write down is love those different from you. There was a situation in 1996 in Michigan in which the KKK decided to do a demonstration there. And the police came and tried to keep the crowds apart, those who were demonstrating for the KKK and the others, and uh, as this was going on, a member of the KKK uh, was thought to have gotten over into the other group, and this person was on the ground, and um, they were getting ready to beat on this person, and and an 18-year-old African-American girl named Keisha Thomas uh, came and got over this man and began to tell everyone to stop and to not hurt him. And they, you know, who does this? She, she, here's what she says. She says, I knew what it was like to be hurt. The many times that that had happened to me, I wish someone would have stood up for me. And she crossed the street, so to speak. She got out of her comfort zone and decided to protect someone who was different from her. Someone who maybe would not have minded for her to be hurt. And here's what she says later. She says, the biggest things you can do is just be kind to a human being. It it can come down to just making eye contact, she says later. Or a smile that she tries to do. It doesn't have to be a huge monumental act. You see, racism isn't just the presence of hatred. It is the absence of love in our lives. And God has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. He said in that video, it's that oneness that Jesus prayed for, that you would all be one like I and the Father are one. And He is in the world reconciling the world to Himself because, friend, we are all equally broken. Red, yellow, black, and white, we're all equally broken, and we are all in need of a Savior who looked down one day and didn't say, well, if you'll get your act together, or if you'd be more like me, then we could do this thing. No, the Bible says, even while you were yet in sin, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At your worst, He died did his best for you and continues to do so galatians chapter 3 pull that scripture up for me galatians 3 says there is neither jew nor gentile neither slave nor free not even male or female there you know no one is different for you are all what one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Him. In other words, God loves Asian Americans, African Americans, Latin Americans, Native Americans, and even Americans who drive slow in the fast lane. Oh, yeah. God loves Cubans, Hondurans, Nigerians, Jamaicans, Koreans, Malaysians, Canadians even, Iranians, Croatians, and Russians. God created everyone, and one day, shoulder to shoulder, we will stand in the new kingdom of God to give praise to the one Savior of all. Pull it up for me. Revelation says it. Revelation says there was a great multitude that no one could count. From where? From every nation. I can't wait. Every tribe, every people, every language. What a day that will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice. I want to accentuate that. If you don't like loud music, you're going to be very uncomfortable in heaven because God likes it loud. All right? and let me tell you something here's why I'll be loud you just might not want to stand next to me because I can't use my, my librarian my library voice when I'm talking about the one who came and pulled me out of the miry clay who lifted me up when I didn't deserve it when I shouldn't have been died for when I shouldn't have been rescued but he came in his grace in His mercy and redeemed me and pulled me out, and I've never, ever, ever been the same. I will praise Him with all that I've got, with all that is within me. I'm going to lift Him up. Heaven is going to be awesome. Together, if we are going to be like that in heaven why not experience a little of it on the way right why can't we at least get along down here see there's only one race it's the human race and that's the one that he came for and that Jewish carpenter I'm not Jewish okay but I get in because he died for all and he died for you and if you're here this morning and you slid into this church today for some reason and you didn't know why it was this could be it because one day at your worst he died for you He reconciled you to Himself. He didn't wait for you to get your act together. He'd be waiting a long time, right? But instead, He came down to our level. He came to us to redeem us, to rescue us, to pull us out. And if you're here this morning and you know you need to be rescued, you know who i'm talking to it's like i'm in your head right now and you know that you need redeeming you need rescued you need lifted you need pulled out by someone something greater than yourself i'm here to tell you that what he's done for me he'll do for you here today let's pray father we thank you that that grace is amazing so amazing that it covers all of us and god so many of us that claim to be christ's followers we can be guilty at times of trying to look the other way maybe nobody will notice maybe somebody else will witness to my neighbor maybe somebody else will pray for that person. Maybe they'll listen to Christian radio and get saved or maybe somebody else can meet that need and that's going to probably cost me something and I I, I'm living a busy life and I'm sure God will do something that God maybe you're wanting to do something through me through us so God here today we don't want race we don't want differences we don't want our busyness We don't want anything keeping us from going to the right side of the street where the hurting are laying, where those who are needy can be lifted. And we can do something about it. Maybe you're here this morning and you join me in saying, Craig, I don't want to be so busy. I don't want to be moving so fast. I don't want to let any prejudice into the, any nook and cranny of my heart. I don't want anything stopping me from loving the humanity that is around me. I want to show the love that I've been shown. I want every day of my life to be filled and overflowing with God's love toward those around me. Will you join Join me if you agree in that prayer and just raise your hand toward heaven right now and say yes.